0: Hi, this is ETF.com's Exchange Traded Fridays podcast, a weekly podcast covering developments in the ETF industry. My name is Sumit Roy, and I'm Senior Analyst for ETF.com. This week, I'm talking with Jim Lydotis, Portfolio Manager of the BNY Mellon Global Infrastructure Income ETF, ticker symbol BKGI. Jim, welcome to the show. Oh, Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Jim, infrastructure has been this rallying cry in Washington for a long time. A lot of people agree with this idea that the U.S. should spend money to repair and upgrade its infrastructure, whether it be fixing broken bridges and highways or by encouraging the clean energy transition. In recent years, we've seen bills like the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act, as well as the Inflation Reduction Act signed into law. And these are supposed to help fulfill that desire to fix and improve the infrastructure of the U.S., So with that context, I want to ask you, what is the state of infrastructure in the U.S. today? And are we seeing increased spending on infrastructure following the passage of those laws I just mentioned? Well, I mean, maybe to answer that first question, uh, the the state of
1: infrastructure in the U.S. today is um, it is catastrophically bad. It is really, really bad. And I'd say, you know, there's pretty, pretty general agreement on the on the condition of infrastructure in the states, there's really nobody taking the other side of that debate. Um, you know, when when you ask the question, are we starting to see the the spending on infrastructure as a result of those laws being passed? You know, I'd say this isn't something that's we're going to measure in in months or years. This is this is a generational um, spend. Uh, I'd say a lot of the easy stuff, so things like like repairing roads, um, this can happen pretty. Pretty quickly, um, and it and it has already started started to happen. That money is starting to move down to the states and, and get deployed. Um, you know, if you think about when the infrastructure bill was was passed, we're we're almost we're almost at the two year point. So it was passed about two years ago. Uh, the the bigger things, those things taking permitting, um, those those can take a very long time. Those take planning. Um, they take staffing up labor. Um, it's it's not easy to do that right now, as, as you can imagine. Labor, you know, is as tight as it's been and in decades right now. So it's, it's pretty tough to get labor, but also in the U S it's really, really tough to get permitting done. So permitting um, really comes down to the very micro regional level. Um, And so those things take a lot, take a lot of time. So, you know, a lot of this spending was never going to happen overnight, which, which is okay. uh, But it is, but it is coming. Um, And, you know, one of the other things that I'd say is causing maybe a bit of a delay is that a lot of the infrastructure spending it's really competing with resources um, that are being pulled for the entire reshoring effort. Um, so all of the certainly all the geopolitical tensions that we're seeing over the last two to three years is really uh, heating up the, um, the, the efforts to try to reshore manufacturing into the states. And that's competing for a lot of the same resources, whether that's labor or materials, that the infrastructure uh, spending is going to compete for. So, again, I think it's just a it's, it's a when, not if. Um, you know, very long way of saying these things take time, but the groundwork is being laid. One of the things that we've been talking to a lot of the aggregates manufacturers in the U.S. over the last couple of weeks about is, you know, why have we not seen those ground uh, breakings take place yet? And you know, pretty much universally across the board, there is this belief that 2024 is going to be the year where you really start to see more of these ground breakings um, taking taking place. So again, we're starting to see the infrastructure spending. Much more is going to come. If you look at all of the spending being announced, about $300 billion of the spending um, that's been announced is is already heading down to, to the states. Um, but even that money hasn't really kind of made its way into the ground. So, again, it, it, it will. Um, you know, the the absolute best part of this bill um, and what's been the case is as far back as the, gosh, even before the 2020 elections, even the 2016 elections, is that this bill is is massively bipartisan, you um, know, in a, in a world where al- almost nothing is bipartisan, there's, there's no politician in the US who's on the other side of this debate. Um, so everyone's for infrastructure spending, everybody un- understands it needs to happen. And so again, you know, there's a lot of things you have to worry about when you head into midterm elections or presidential elections. Um, but infrastructure is one thing that you can, you can sleep pretty well at night, because there's, there's
0: not much um, political debate. That makes a lot of sense. So, Jim, I'm curious. You know, um, where is the infrastructure spending being focused? I've heard there being subsidies for solar panels, EV charging stations, and things like that. Is most of the money heading into these new green projects, or is it broader than that?
1: There certainly is some money being headed into the green, um, into the more green projects. Um, but but it is it is quite broad. Um, you know, we've. Um, We've gotten a lot of money that's been funneled into investment tax credits to incentivize the building of more renewable electricity. Uh, So for sure, that is already starting to happen and and that's going to continue to happen. Um, But there's there's also a lot of funding that was headed into into bridging the technological divide. I think covid uh, laid bare. Even more bare than than it had before. You know, this economic divide and the inequalities that we see in the country. One of the things that can help bridge that is bringing better broadband service to the rural parts of of the United States. Ten percent of the population live in areas that don't have great internet access. So that's one of the big things that are being addressed in the plan as well. Um, if you look at, you know, the water infrastructure that we have in this in this country, I always say this is a a first world country with third world water infrastructure, but a half a million kids in the country today are in schools or daycare centers uh, that don't have safe drinking water, which is which is crazy when you think about it. It's 2023. This is the USA. Um, it's wild to think about that. So that's something that's absolutely being um, being addressed um, right now as well. You know, one in five miles in the US are in, in poor condition. The, the, the road work needs to be fixed. About fifty thousand bridges are are in poor condition. It's a, it's a lot of bridges, right? It's a lot of roads. Uh, there's over a hundred billion dollars. It's meant to fix um, the the inadequacies of, of bridges and roads. So, you know, to kind of get at your question, it, it's pretty broad and it's hitting. You know, whether it's the technology spend, whether it's road spending, whether it's uh, renewable energy, whether it's water. There are a lot of categories to spend um, that that this um, this bill is 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 targeting.
0: So, Jim, you, of course, manage the BNY Mellon Global Infrastructure Income ETF, ticker symbol BKGI. You've yeah. already kind of made the case uh, for why people should consider investing in infrastructure. But I'm curious if I directly ask you, you know, why should people consider investing in this ETF? You know, what would you say?
1: Yeah, I'd say there's there's really four four things that come to mind on that. So maybe the first point is a lot of what we what we just talked about. Uh, right now we're standing in front of the probably the greatest period of infrastructure spending that we've seen in about 80 years in the U S and it's all signed into law. Um, So, so again, you don't have to worry about that getting pulled back at at all because it's it's already been signed into law. Um, And again, it, you know, it was first announced two years ago. Um, And when it was announced, an interesting thing started happening. It started siphoning capital out of Europe to the U S so a lot of European infrastructure companies saw the programs that were in place in the US and they thought it made a lot more sense for them to bring that capital over to the US Europe responded and said gosh we can't let all this capital leave Europe so Europe has responded with um, a lot of very large-scale infrastructure projects of their own um, so right now it's it's almost an arms race of um, regulation that's competing for investor capital which as an infrastructure investor that's I mean that's a fantastic backdrop so you know whether it's the U.S. infrastructure programs or the programs we're seeing out of Europe, a lot of um, of regulations are targeting infrastructure spend, which creates a really, really good good backdrop. So that's the first point. The point uh, point number two, I'd say, is inflation: higher borrowing costs, higher labor costs, higher input costs. Uh, the world is grappling with with inflation that that most of us in our investing lifetime have not ever had to experience last year. Almost every business, whether it was Coke or Pepsi or Kraft Heinz, almost every business was able to take pricing higher. Uh, This year, we're starting to see some of that unwind. So people are starting to worry about a lot of that pricing that came through with inflation last year might have to turn around, which is not good for equity holders. With infrastructure businesses, you literally never have to worry about that because all of these businesses, um, they operate with very long term contracts and they have inflation uh, pass through mechanisms. Uh, built automatically into them. So you never have to worry about those inflationary pressures um, going away, which, which is a really good thing for these businesses. The third point I'd say is um, you're getting a real 6% dividend yield. And, and I think that one word, real, is probably the most important word there. People could look at a bond yield or bond yields as, as high as they are today, whether it's the you know the two-year treasury at over 5%, just before I I, um, I jumped on this call, is at the ten years is is almost at five percent? So these are pretty high rates, um, and that can feel pretty good, right? Those are very high nominal nominal yields. But if you put your money into a ten year Treasury today for that five percent yield, that five percent nominal yield is all you're going to see. But that's going to get eroded with inflation, and when you get your money back in ten years, that capital that you put in on day one is going to be massively eroded by inflation. You're not going to have that with equities, with infrastructure equities. These equities, they pay dividends that are going to grow at least as fast with inflation. Um, but also the capital that you're putting in today, that should also appreciate in an inflationary backdrop. So, so all of it, the yield and the capital, all of that is, is much more uh, protected in an inflationary environment. You get none of that protection with bonds. So even though the, the headline yields you find in bonds are, are higher than they've been certainly in years. You're getting no inflation protection, and I do believe we're in an inflationary environment. Um, And then maybe the final point on this: none of these are discretionary uh, businesses. So you don't have to with infrastructure. You don't have to bet on um, the recovery and the spending of the Chinese consumer. You don't have to worry about trade wars. Infrastructure businesses are largely domestic focused. Whether they're U.S. businesses or Spanish businesses, French businesses, they're largely focused on their own economy and they have very little economic sensitivity. So think about, you know, a water utility or an electric utility or an energy pipeline, very little economics and sensitivity. So, I mean, really, all you have to worry about is um, is collecting that dividend yield, and that dividend yield is going to be protected in an inflationary environment. So if you're worried about economic um, you know, instability out there in the market, you don't have to worry about that with an, with an infrastructure fund.
0: That's
1: some great color. And what is the
0: yield on the ETF right now?
1: Yeah, so the way I like to look at this is on a, the yield on a go-forward basis, meaning if you put, put $100 into the fund today, what's the income that you would expect to receive over the next 12 months? Um, and so the go-forward, forward 12-month forward dividend yield is about 6.3% um, right now. We've been um, managing this infrastructure ETF. It'll be a year in, um, in November. So we're about about two, two and a half weeks away from one year, um, but I've been managing the same strategy uh, for other institutional clients, um, before we launched the ETF for over 12 years, and that that commitment to that 6% dividend yield has been something that we've held for the entirety of the um, of the strategy since we launched it in, in the summer of 2011. So uh, the yield right now again sits at about 6.3%, um, but that has been a level at or above 6% that we've been able to maintain for uh, over 12 years now.
0: Yeah, 6% that certainly is attractive, and I was going to ask you how you know that compares to the 10-year treasury yield, which is now 5%. But you kind of answered saying that, you know, that 5% treasury yield is going to be eroded by inflation. And you're not going to see a growth in that yield like you would with the dividends that you get in BKGI. But, you know, I've been looking at, you know, some of those uh, dividend stocks, you know, things like utilities, and they've been hit pretty hard in the recent market environment. Does that mean it's an opportunity right now because these stocks have sold off? on the back of those higher interest rates?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the, the way that we had been positioned when we launched the strategy a year ago, we were really, really underweight US utilities and fairly overweight European utilities. European utilities have historically been a lot less um, sensitive to to moves in, in interest rates than, than US utilities uh, have. and um, And you've seen over the last 12 months, a tremendous amount of outperformance of the Europeans relative to the US. But exactly to that point, we are now starting to see, especially with what you saw the last couple of weeks in September, that 50 basis point move up in bond yields, the U.S. utilities got hit pretty hard. Um, we're seeing a ton of opportunity right now in that space to start to close that underweight and shift some of that weight from Europe into the into the U.S. In fact, we're working on a paper right now. We're calling it Coming to America. Um, and it's really all about that, just shifting a lot of that European weight back to the U.S. based on the opportunities that we're seeing
0: that have arisen in the last couple of months with all that volatility. Super interesting, and can you tell us a little bit more about the holdings in the ETF? If I'm not mistaken, there's currently thirty one holdings. what are yes. the you know top sectors and top stocks yeah. and things like that?
1: Yeah, so one of the things that we've always done and kind of one of the i'd say most differentiated parts of of our infrastructure strategy is um, we do look at an expanded opportunity set so so most of the um, most of the players in the listed infrastructure space will invest in utilities, they'll invest in pipelines, and they'll invest in transportation infrastructure. So think toll roads or or airports. Um, We've always thought that the opportunity set is is broader than those three areas. So while we do own utilities, we do own transports, and we do own energy pipelines, um, we'll also own some uh, very idiosyncratic areas of infrastructure. So um, one place that we're finding a lot of opportunity right now is European telecom. Um, the largest weight in the fund today, uh, sitting here on October 19th, is uh, is Orange. Um, and so Orange is the former France Telecom. So think of, you know, essentially the, the AT&T of, of, of France. Um, they have a big business in Spain as well. You know, telecom businesses kind of get a bad rap because they don't grow really well. And they're super capital intensive. So some of these businesses... Um, spend about 20% of every dollar they bring in in revenue into CapEx and and, and trying to, you know, get you onto that next generation of of internet service. Um, So super capital intensive, they don't grow really well. So investors have largely disregarded this entire sector for probably the last 15 years when I think of European telcos. So some of of these equities are, you know, are are some of the cheapest defensive equities you'll find anywhere in the market. Five, Six times EBITDA, you can sometimes get them under five times EBITDA. So, really, really cheap businesses. Um, A company like Orange, what they're doing is they've recognized that their growth has peaked. And so they're saying, all right, well, let's change the profile of our business. Let's take more of that capital that we were putting into the ground and not getting a return on, and let's redistribute that back to shareholders in the form of dividends. So, dividends are growing from an already really high level. Um, They're paying down debt, deleveraging the balance sheet, just really changing the profile of the business. Um, they have a new management team in place. We think she's fantastic CEO, um, and so a business like that, you know, you're still it's it's, it's done really well for us this year, um, but it's still generating about a six and a half percent dividend yield. Cash flow return to shareholders is is improving, and it's again, I think it's going to take a while to change investor sentiment around that group. So while that happens, we think there's a ton of opportunity to get a lot of yield, a lot of value, and then get the re-rating. Um, so so that's one area where we're finding value. And then maybe, you know, the other, I'd say, um, probably non-traditional space where we're finding value um, is in the, the healthcare REIT segment of the market. Um, There, you know, it sounds like a pretty niche place and and it it can be, uh, but there's, there's one name that we own today in the fund. Uh, It's called Omega healthcare investors. They are the largest owner of um, aged care facilities in the United States. Um, And, and there, so it's a healthcare REIT. So it's technically a REIT. Um, <clears throat> but if you think of the different types of infrastructure, this is, uh, I call it social infrastructure. So over, over 80% of the states in the US today have um, restrictions on supply coming into nursing homes. Um, so you and I couldn't just pool our capital and build a nursing home um, in, in most places because there's, there's limits on how much supply can come into the market. Uh, so as a result, if you have a supply constrained market, as demand continues to grow with the aging population, of the, um, the aging demographic of the baby boomers, then you have this really nice supply demand um, dynamic in this space. And this is a space that was hit pretty hard on the back of COVID, as you as you can imagine. Um, utilization rates came down and and people, you know, for about, gosh, 12 to 18 months, people really weren't moving into these facilities. So utilization was coming down. It was a pretty challenging spot, um, but they've gotten through it. And so now utilization rates, every time they report, they keep ticking higher. Um, And again, you know, supply is constrained, demand continues to grow. Um, But, you know, because of what happened in COVID, these businesses are still offering quite a bit of value. And again, it's an area you're not going to normally find in a traditional infrastructure manager's portfolio, but it's, you know, it's, 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 I'd say representative of that broader, uh, broader view of infrastructure that we've always, always taken.
0: Certainly sounds like there's an eclectic mix of stocks in your ETF, Jim. And I I should note the fund is actually flat this year and that's much better than the S&P utility sector, which is down 14%. So quite a bit of outperformance. That's right. So Jim, I wanted to ask you, you know, how does this ETF BKGI fit inside of a broader portfolio? Who is it for? So I I think,
1: a fund like this fits perfectly for someone who wants a, a defensive fund um, that generates a lot of inflation protected yield, um, but also that will benefit from this really, really big theme of U.S. infrastructure growth um, and and growth that's coming through in, in, in Europe and Asia as well. So, uh, you know, I think I think that the global nature of this is important because um, as an actively managed global fund, you know, I mentioned earlier how we were pretty overweight Europe Uh, about a year ago when we launched the strategy, we've been pulling that down. And and now we see opportunity to reallocate some of that weight to the US with some of that volatility. You know, I I do think you want um, a a manager who has truly a global opportunity set who can um, move weight where they can find opportunities within that broader set. Um, So, you know, if you're looking for an actively managed fund that can arbitrage those opportunities, but you want a defensive did um, all the defensive characteristics that you'd expect with an infrastructure fund and generate a lot of inflation-protected yield. Again, I think, I think that is who this fund is for. Someone who's looking for a defensive, inflation-protected,
0: higher-yield portfolio with the ability to, to arbitrage value across the globe. Well, fantastic. Jim, we're going to have to leave it there. You gave us a ton of great insights. Thanks so much for your time. No, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find this and all other Exchange Traded Fridays episodes on ETF.com or on any major podcast platform. See you next week.